These uh, last few days, I've been thinking a lot about Pasadena, California. You see, I spent my middle and high school years in the area, and we grew up in a house that was not far from the campus of Caltech. And I suppose Pasadena came to mind because it was recently announced this week that the Rose Parade is canceled this coming January due to COVID. And while the decision is likely a very good one, it is sad. The last time the parade was not held was during World War II. Well, as our house was not far from Caltech, some friends and I, when we were in high school, we'd head to the campus to throw a Frisbee around. And on occasion, a Caltech student or two would, would join us. They were so smart. Caltech students not only were known for their brains, but also for their sense of humor. The student body, as some of you know, are well known for their pranks. And as I've been thinking about the canceled Rose Parade, I thought of a prank that the Caltech students pulled off at the 1961 Rose Bowl game. That year, cheerleaders from the University of Washington placed numbered cards on the seats in the stands throughout the stadium. And during the game, when they called out specific numbers, the idea was that fans would hold up the various cards, which resulted in a giant message seen across the stadium. Many of us have seen that in games recently. Well, anyway, somehow at that Rose Bowl game, Caltech students got hold of the cards and they switched some of them long before the game. I don't know how they figured it out, but they did. And when cheerleaders called out a certain number that day, the fans diligently held up their cards. But instead of spelling out the prepared expected message, the cards read Caltech for the whole world to see. <laughs> well, thinking about Caltech and the smart students who attend, reminds me of something that I have a hard time grasping. When I use a computer every day and all kinds of programs, please don't ask me to explain precisely what's going on as my fingers speed along. I have no idea. And then to make top it off, there's the whole concept of the internet and its inner workings. All I understand is that my computer sometimes works fast and other times more slowly, and folks over the years have tried to explain the concept of bandwidth to me. One person describes bandwidth as the volume of information per unit of time that, tran that a transmission medium, like an internet connection, can handle. I guess that means that how much information something can manage in a specific amount of time is what bandwidth is all about. I think I remember someone once telling me that bandwidth is like a different size hose. Some hoses handle more water than others depending on how big the hose is. Does that seem about right, Paul? But if you listen to people speak nowadays, sometimes you'll hear people say things like, my bandwidth is overloaded, or I don't have any more bandwidth, or my bandwidth can only deal with so much at once. Of course, people are not talking about technology, they're talking about their brains, and I think they're right. As human beings, we all know this, we have a limit on how much we can pay attention to, how much we can notice, how much we can respond to how much we can deal with all at once. And if this is true, that we only have so much we can attend to at once, then it seems to me that we need to be careful how we use our limited mental capacity. And while this is not news to any of us, I think the idea of paying attention to how we use our mental capacity is essential, especially when there's far more information and far more perspectives, opinions, ideas, concepts, words, coming at us at any given moment that even a supercomputer can deal with. And so if this is true, 
then the question for each of us as people of faith is pretty straightforward. What am I going to choose to pay attention to this day? And what will I put aside? Is I can only take in so much. Said another way, I think the question that each of us need to ask continually is, how am I going to use my bandwidth right now? And what's interesting to me is that you can see evidence of how people are using their mental, mental bandwidth all the time. Some people are really ticked off and apoplectic these days. You raise a certain subject and red face and explosions. Others spew all kinds of things that when I hear their words, it feels like sticking my hand in a vat of turpentine. Some are afraid, confused, fearful, stressed out, and seemingly deeply unhappy and all ramped up. Other people, however, seem calm and at peace and talk in constructive, upbuilding ways. Some people spend their energy helping other people. Others spread joy and hope. And all of these outward, visible actions and behaviors reflect how a given person is choosing to use his or her bandwidth. And as I mentioned, I believe as people of faith, we need to be selective to what data we will allow to use up our mental space. And what's interesting to me is that you can look at scriptures, you can look at scripture, you can look at stories in scripture through this lens, through this concept. You see story after story after story in scripture is about how people choose to use their mental space and that the choices people make about how they're going to use up their bandwidth affects their actions, their thoughts, their emotions, and in fact, their relationship with God. And so for a few moments, let's take a look at a few examples from Scripture. In the second book of Kings, there are people called the Arameans, and they are at war with Israel. Israel at the time has a prophet named Elijah, and Elijah is very helpful to the Israeli cause. Hence, the king of Aram sends a vast army to find and hopefully take out the prophet Elijah. He wants to eliminate Elijah and rid Israel of a source of divine knowledge. One day, a servant of Elijah sees the huge Aramean army beginning to surround them. He focuses specifically on the size of the army, and he totally flips out. He uses up his bandwidth to focus on the threat at hand. The same, however, is not the case for Elijah. Elijah's focus is not on the Aramean army that is after him, but instead is on God. He tells his servant, don't worry about it. We've got a lot more power on our side. We've got God. And what Elijah and his servant choose to pay attention to in the story determines their reactions and, in fact, their future actions. Then in the book of Exodus, you remember the story of when the Jews flee Egypt. They're finally free after having endured hundreds and hundreds of years of slavery and witnessed a series of horrendous plagues. And under Moses' leadership, they travel to the banks of the Red Sea, which they must cross in order to reach the Promised Land. And while on the banks of the sea, the people turn around and they see the angry Egyptian army marching toward them. And as they look backward and not forward, they are terrified. They use up their bandwidth on the visible threat more than on Moses' words and guidance, more than on thinking about what God had done for them in very tangible ways. Then there's a story in the book of Acts. You may remember it, but Paul had been arrested and he was on a ship headed for Rome. Other prisoners, accused of all kinds of things, were with Paul on this ship. And one day, as they move across the Mediterranean Sea, a 
massive storm hits. The ship is in trouble. Their lives are in peril. Everyone, except for Paul, is petrified. Paul's focus is not on the storm, but on how much, on a much greater power that he trusts, the power of God. He allows his limited bandwidth to be filled with the knowledge of God's presence and ever-present guidance. Then, of course, there's the story we heard in our reading today. In it, Jesus insists his disciples get into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Jesus then heads off by himself up a mountain for some prayer and some much-needed quiet time. And when the disciples are out on the sea that night, a big storm hits. The boat is pummeled by wind and waves. The disciples are scared stiff. And about four in the morning, Jesus comes walking across the water toward them. They were, as it says in one version of the Bible, scared out of their wits. They cried out in terror. It's a ghost. Jesus then says to them, it's me, it's okay. And at that point, Peter allows his mind to consider the possibility that indeed it might really be Jesus. Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, call me to come to you by walking across the water. And Jesus replied, come on, Peter. So Peter steps out of the boat and walks toward Jesus on the water with his eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. But then Peter's focus shifts. He allows his bandwidth to take in other data, the data of the storm and the waves. The result, he sinks and he yells out, Jesus, save me. While there are many layers to this story, a central aspect of it, I believe, has to do with what Peter must have learned that night out on the sea. What Peter learned firsthand is that focus determines everything. And when Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, although things remained stormy, Peter did something extraordinary. He walked on water. When he focused on the storm, however, he freaked out and sank. And I believe Jesus was trying to teach his disciples an invaluable lesson. I think Jesus was saying, in essence, when you're facing a difficult deal, a tough challenge, a seemingly impossible situation, or having to endure something that goes on and on and on and on, don't spend all of your energy and focus on the problem, but rather on the ultimate problem solver. Said another way, Jesus invites us to not only focus on the hurdle we are facing, but on the one who can jump any hurdle for us. Or in the context of what we're talking about today, Jesus invites us to be intentional about how we use our bandwidth as we only have so much capacity. Related to this are words from a fellow named Daniel Corin. He writes, I looked at my situation from every angle. I could not find a way out. I despaired of hope. I quit trying. I said things would never improve. And then God showed me my problem was not my problem. My problem was that I had focused so closely on my worries that they overwhelmed me. I could not see around them, and I felt helpless. Then God, had point, then God pointed out to me as I read his word that I should focus not on my problems. I should focus on God. The more I focus on my problems, the bigger they seem. And when I become an expert on my challenges and my crises, I can see nothing else. So as we think about all this today, I encourage us to ask ourselves what it is that we can take with us this morning 
that will help us during this time of extraordinary upheaval, pain, and distress. Well, here's some brief thoughts. First, as I've already made clear, I think that it's helpful to keep front and center, day in and day out, that our mental capacity is limited and we can only focus on so much at a time. We can only take in so much. We can only see a certain number of data points at once. We all have a certain bandwidth. We're human. And because of this, it is so important that we learn to manage what we will pay attention to and what we will focus on. What we will not engage in and what we will let go. We don't have the bandwidth to deal with everything. Also, as I've said many times before, we need to be very cautious about whose voices we allow to take up our bandwidth. There are clearly voices that are in alignment with Jesus. These are voices that reflect the nature of God, which is love. These are the voices that encourage and build up and unify and offer sustenance and hope and peace. These are the voices that highlight our shared humanity and our shared struggles. Conversely, there are many other voices that are quite the opposite that can take up our bandwidth if we allow them to. Sometimes these voices even reflect evil itself. But whether evil or simple human sinfulness, these voices are voices that make us feel all ramped up, red-faced, stirred up, riled up, that elicit negativity in anything but the peace of God. And the great news of this is that you and I are control, in complete control, over how we use our bandwidth and whose voice we will listen to. A quick caveat. None of what I'm talking about this morning means we should engage in denial. Ignore what is wrong or not change things which are within our control. This not, does not mean, none of what I'm talking about does not mean we should not get real and focus on the pain of others and the real help that they need at this time. None of what I'm talking about means we should just look at the bright side of things. This is not what I'm suggesting this morning. But what I am encouraging us to do is that when we are looking at a problem and reacting to a problem, we can use up our mental capacity in ways that ultimately will be helpful when dealing with what is wrong or quite the opposite. Just a couple of other things briefly. When we think of our bandwidth and how we use it, I believe it's essential to use some of it to ponder and think and recognize the size of God. To use up some of our mental capacity to ponder the size of the universe and its vastness to look at the night sky that we have here and to recognize the God who is far bigger than what we can see and not see out in the universe is created by God and therefore God has got to be far bigger than any problem we may have. Using up some of our mental capacity on such thoughts will have a massive impact on us day in and day out. And finally, we can use some of our bandwidth to remember that the challenges and the problems that we have are not the core essence of who we are. Instead, we are who God says we are. And as I touched on last week, we are handmade by God 
you and I are not defined by the problems that we have or the problems around us. The problems we have are not the core essence of who we are down deep. Instead, we are who God says we are. And God says to us, remember, and keep this in your brain. God says, you are mine. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are capable. You are gifted. You are extraordinarily unique. I created you to be directly, continuously, and unbreakably tied to me. I adore and cherish you. And ultimately, you're defined by me, not by what is around you. I am very confident that humankind will make it through this crisis in this time. And I don't know when or how. But what I do know is that countless people, and this is so true, countless people are using up their bandwidth capacity to care for other people, to search for vaccines, to discover forms of treatment, to act in selfless ways, to unify people, to express compassion and empathy, to be great neighbors, to think of others rather than just themselves. People are using up their mental energy in so many wonderful ways, and we need to open up our bandwidth to see it. And again, while we don't know when this time of national and worldwide upheaval will resolve, I know that in the meantime that you and I both can choose to use our bandwidth in ways that ultimately will help or hurt. And this is so empowering. It means we can act, we can impact, we can affect the course of what's around us, we can be the passionate presence of Christ wherever we are. So what I hope we each take away from this this morning is you'll join me in asking ourselves throughout each day, especially when we feel that angst and that burn, that we'll ask ourselves, how am I going to use my God-given bandwidth right now? And let us pray.